Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Over the weekend, I was down in Southern California in a little tiny enclave called uh, Loma Linda. Uh, some of you uh, might be familiar with it because it is one of the, uh, what they've identified as one of the blue zones in the country where people have longer lives and I think they have longer lives because the heat squeezes everything out of them because it was hot down there. But I, I was spending some time down there with, with family and someone asked me, uh, we were talking about uh, just, you know, the way of life here in the city and in and, and we often refer to San Francisco as the city, but basically everywhere that you are in the Bay Area is city these days. And, and, and what they said to me was, why, why do you still insist on staying in the city? Because, you know, you can go down there and you can buy a house at a reasonable price. And uh, sure, the traffic is horrible once you go towards L.A., but out there it's pretty quiet. And maybe you should consider leaving. And I thought about it, thought about it for a second, because, you know, I've lived in this area almost my entire life. Some of you know that I I was raised uh, literally five, six miles that direction. Thank you for those of you who are pointing. For those of you who are watching us online, you have no idea where I'm pointing from, but I'm, I'm pointing that way. Uh, but I, I grew up here, and in 1971, my parents bought a house, brand new, it had just been built in, in the neighborhood over there, and they bought it for $23,000. Really nice three-bedroom, two-bath, suburban house. What year? 1971. 20 years later, um, I, was, I, I was married, and uh, we got our first house. It was a house that was in a nearby neighborhood. It was about the same size as the house that my parents bought. And 20 years later, that same size house in the same basic neighborhood was $105,000. 25 years from there. We're 25 years out now. And that same house is 12 times as expensive as it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Now, for reference, so that you can kind of keep some perspective for some of you who have been here for a while and you don't really get it, in that same time frame, the minimum wage has only gone up three times. Three times as much. But the cost of living in this area has skyrocketed because of the cost of housing. And many of you who are sitting here, and maybe there's some of you who are watching us online, you're watching us from places outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. You might be watching us from a place that's outside of an of a urban area. You may not understand the challenges that come with living in this place because it's hard. Listen, it is some of the... This area is, for me, the most beautiful city area in the world. I love it here. But it's hard to live here. And I always tell people, there are two things I tell people when they come to visit. One of the things I tell them is, is that it's a great place to visit, but it's hard to live here. The second thing I tell them is this. I spent 15 years in Central Florida. I went from three times the house and one-third the payment to one-third the house and three times the payment to live out here. And I wonder to myself sometimes, why? 
Why, why do I still live in this area? And, I'm, you know, uh, my kids are growing up, and, and they're practically, I mean, they've got one foot in the door, one hand, actually, but one foot in the door. And so, you know, there's really not very much that is keeping me here. And so I thought to myself, why? Why am I still here? And I can tell you right now that the reason that I am here is because I love this place. I love this city. I love this city that God put me in because this isn't, when you talk about a a particular uh, corporate organization of city, this isn't the city I was raised in. I was raised in the city next door. But God called us to this particular city. And over the seven, eight years that we have been here, um, since we've moved back from Florida, I've come to love this place where God has put us. And I've come to love this church and those of you who come here and call Grace Point Church your home. And I can't imagine being anywhere else because God has put this passion inside me for you and for this city. But that's not unusual because God calls us to the city. See, one of the things that we see if we look throughout history is that God has always called his people into the cities. In the, by the time that um, we were about 200 years out of the start of the early church, we're about 300 AD, 50% of the populations of the cities in the world, 50% of the populations were Christian. In the countryside, in, in, the, in the villages, they were not. In fact, um, many people believe that we get the word pagan, which is a, you know, it's a kind of a Christian-y, churchy word that we use for people who aren't Christian. Uh, we, that we get the word pagan from the Greek word paganus, which is pagan with a U.S. at the end. We get the, from the Greek word paganus, which means uh, a man of the country or a man of the village. And so God's movement spread into the cities. And the two largest measurable jumps in in the spread of Christianity happened in cities at times when cities were under attack. And the attacks that they came under were biological attacks. There were two plagues that hit the major cities in the early part of the church. And what differentiated the Christians from everyone else was was that as everyone else was leaving the city, the Christians were moving in. And they were joyful and happy and serving the people who were living in the city. They were nursing them back to health at their own peril. In fact, many of them would die trying to help the people who weren't Christian, but were still living there. And the church expanded and grew because they saw what the Christians were doing. It's always been that way, and they've, we've always been called into the city. And so when I'm sitting here, and, and it's strange for me, because in the religious tradition I grew up in, we were taught that at some point the cities were going to be so bad that we have to move out into the country. In fact, I know people who bought land out in Idaho or, you know, somewhere far away, and they're just waiting for the time when things are bad, and they've already got their food piles all stacked up, and they're going to be ready to move out. That's not what God calls us to do. God loves the cities because the cities are where his people are. 
40 years ago, only 3% of the world's populations lived in a city. Today, there are 5 million people every month moving into the cities. Let me give you some perspective. That is one brand new New York City every six weeks. And it's happening right now. Because God is calling us into the cities. And isn't it ironic that for many of us here, and if you doubt me, just look at anyone's Instagram feed or Facebook and you'll see this, that we who live in the city, we go out of the city to see beauty. Right? We want to see nature. We want to see plants. And and so you'll see people who leave the city and they'll go out and they'll take pictures of themselves behind waterfalls and plants and, and, and roses are all over the place and tulips all the way down to the end of the mile. I mean, that's what we go out of the city to see. And isn't it ironic that God would find the most beautiful places on earth to be the places where there is the highest concentration of people. Because for us, we prefer to see plants over people, but God values people over plants. And so he sees the dirtiness and the congestion and the busyness of the city. And for him, that is the most beautiful thing to see because that is where you and I are. And we are what give God the greatest joy. Tim Keller, who is a pastor of a church out in um, New York City, a very large, successful church out there. Uh, He's an author. He's written a lot of books. And he has a very strong passion for reaching the city. And, of course, he would because he's right smack dab in one of the biggest cities in the world. But he wrote this. He says, the church has to be everywhere there are people. But the people are moving into the city faster than the church. If you love what God loves, you will love the city. But what has happened, and and for those of you who are kind of history buffs, if you want to kind of imagine this, and and, and once we talk about this, you'll see, you will probably see how, how correct it is. But about 60, 70 years ago, Christians made the decision to abandon the cities. It was getting to be too rough for them. And so they left the cities and to go out and to create little enclaves out in the suburbs. And that's where they went. And when the Christians abandoned the cities, they abandoned the center of culture. They abandoned the center of government. They abandoned the center of entertainment. And so what we saw over the last 70 years is that government and culture and entertainment started moving away from the values that used to be a central part of our country to a place where it was completely separate from what most people who call themselves Christians today feel like represents who and what we believe and what we are. Because we abandoned the cities. The cities are where you go if you want to reach the culture. The cities are where you go when you want to reach the government. The cities are where you go when you want to influence entertainment. The cities are where social media is centered around. The cities are where young people are and where the poor and the needy are. The highest concentration of people are in the cities. 
And so today what I want to do is I want to talk, I want to start off this series, um, which, you know, it's one of the things that, that we feel very strongly here about, feel strongly about here at Grace Point. So strongly that I preach on loving the city every single year. Um, because this is such a high value for us, because we believe that God has called us to this particular place. And so today what I want to do is I, I want to, in trying to reinforce this idea that you and I are here for a purpose for this city, is I want to take us through a story to the end of a story that maybe some of you who grew up in church, you kind of know the beginning part of the story. It's about a guy named Jonah. And if you've been around for a while, we've, we talked about Jonah a few months ago. But we're going to look at the very end of the story of Jonah, how it basically closes out. And the story of Jonah, like every good story, has a protagonist and an antagonist. Right? Every story has the good guy and the bad guy. And if we don't really dive into the story... You may not know, you may easily figure out who the good guy is, but you may not know who the bad guy is. You see, in the story of Jonah, the good guy is easy to identify. He's God. Because almost every story you read, God's the good guy, right? God is the good guy. He wants to save the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was a city that was doing lots of things. And, and they, God sent Jonah there to warn them that they need to shape up. And so uh, here is this city, this, what, what Jonah describes as this great city of Nineveh. And God is the hero. He is the protagonist because he is coming to save the city. Do you know who the bad guy is? The bad guy is Jonah. In the story, the bad guy is Jonah. The bad guy represents the religious, moral, good people who are looking at the bad guys and saying, you better shape up, and until you do, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And if you don't, you are all going to go to H-E double hockey sticks. Which I have to mind my language today because... There are children in the house. That, that's, that's, the, that's the bad guys. Some of us, maybe some of you, grew up in church with people who were like that. Who said, here's the list of rules, and if you don't follow them, if you don't comply, then I hope that you get the wrath of God. That's the bad guy in our story, and that is Jonah. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of Jonah, which is the, it, Jonah's a very small book. And if you haven't read it, then I want to encourage you to go back and read chapters 1 through 3. Because it's a nice, easy read. Some of you have grown up knowing this story. But if you read it, there's a lot of details that you might have missed. But for those of you who haven't heard it or don't know about it, let me give you a quick recap. There's a city, and that city is Nineveh. And Nineveh was a big, bustling city, but the people in Nineveh had abandoned God. And so God sends a prophet. And a prophet is not somebody who foretells the future in that sense, like a fortune teller. But a prophet is someone who preaches the word of God to the people. 
And so God sends this guy named Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city. And I want you to warn them that if they don't shape up, that destruction is going to come to them. And so Jonah, you know, this is the story you might have heard. Jonah doesn't want to listen to God. So he gets on a boat, goes the opposite direction. And, and he eventually gets eaten up by a big fish or a whale that, that he, he uses the word arranged, which I love that, that God had arranged for this whale, this big fish to be there. And so Jonah's in the whale for three days. He gets spit out and he ends up, okay, God, I'm going to go. He starts heading towards Nineveh. Once again, Jonah says, no, I don't want to do it. He and God interact again. And Jonah finally says, okay, and he goes and he goes to Nineveh. And he tells the people what God told them, what God told him to tell them. Nineveh. Nineveh is about the size of the city of San Francisco. And here's one guy. And he's going into the city of Nineveh. And he tells them, this is what, this is what God said. Now, you would think that one crazy guy, because if you live in San Francisco, you've seen guys like Jonah, right? There, you go down to Civic Center, BART Station, there's one of those guys who's standing on a turned upside down milk carton, and he is yelling at everybody that's going by with a big old sign saying, you're going to hell. Ooh, I said it anyway. We'll just have to ed- edit that out. All right, so here's Jonah. He goes into the city. He's giving the warning, and the people believe him. The people say, okay, we, we get it. We're, we're, we're going to stop. We're going to change our ways. The king hears about it. He takes off his, his royal clothes. He puts on you know, onion sacks, you know, those big brown sacks that are itchy. He puts those things on, and he's, and he's just like, okay, God, we're going to do it. We're going to change. And this really ticks off Jonah. Because when God sees this, he says, okay, I'm going to save you. And that's where we pick up. We pick up there in Jonah chapter 4, and this is what it says. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Now, do you know why Jonah is angry? Because, you see, I would think that Jonah, being a prophet of God, goes into a city of, you know, 800,000 people. And he goes in there and he says, this is what God said, and they all change that you would be pretty happy, right? But he's angry. And the reason that he's angry, if you look back in chapter 3, the reason that he is angry is because the people didn't have a life-changing conversion. They didn't give themselves and their hearts over to God. They didn't all of a sudden start going to church and start becoming worshipers and sing songs and raise their hands. They didn't do any of that. They were, knew that they were living a bad life They were worried that they were going to die. And so they said, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. You see, their their repentance was very superficial. And Jonah was angry that God would allow them to get away with it. And so what did he do in verse 2? It says, so Jonah, he complained to the Lord about it. Now, you might look at that and go, wow. But come on. Don't we all do that? Right? Doesn't something come our way and we go, dang it, God. Why did you do that? Why did it have to be like that? Why couldn't you step in here? Why didn't this come through here? He complained to God the same way we all do. He says, so he complained about it to the Lord. And he says, and this is how he says, he says, didn't I say before I left home, 
Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. Tarshish was the city that was on the opposite side of where he was supposed to go. And he was telling God, this is exactly what I knew you would do. In fact, in the next next verse, he starts with that. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now, don't be fooled here. Jonah is not complimenting God. This is not a, oh God, you're merciful and compassionate. He is ticked off. And he's saying, you, you're merciful and I cannot believe how merciful and compassionate you are. He's angry that God is slow to anger. And he says, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. That's who God is. And we might miss that if we just read this story through. We might miss the fact that God is looking for any excuse to come through for us. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. And Jonah, because he's upset, and this is how ticked off Jonah is at God. He says, just kill me now. I mean, come on, forget it. Just kill me now. Just strike me down now. Just do it right now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted, which was the destruction of the city, if what I predicted will not happen. And so God replies. It says, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? I mean, come on. You are one person. Is it really Do you really have a right to be angry about what I am doing here? Jonah wasn't happy with that. So it says, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city. Jonah left the city. And he waited. He, He went out, but he didn't go too far. He went to a place where he could still see the city because he was still hoping that God would come through for him and destroy that city. Now, I want you to think about this. We've got a city the size of San Francisco, right? Jonah walks in and he has a message to deliver that he has to deliver to the entire city. How does he do it? There's no internet. There are no newspapers. There's no big shopping malls or gathering places where lots of people go all at one time. Right? There are no cars to go around the city really, really quickly. There are no telephones, no cell phones, no texting, no social media. So here's one guy. Imagine you're one guy. You have to go into the San Francisco, but there is none of the technology that we have today. How are you going to tell every single person in that city and give them God's warning? How are you going to do it? It doesn't happen in a day. It's not a message that you can just put up on the wall and people will see it. In order for Jonah to have told the entire city, for that warning to have spread out, Jonah moved into the city. He lived in the city. 
He went from a place where he was, where there was a homogenous culture, where everybody shared the same language, everybody looked the same, everybody acted the same, everybody ate the same food. And he went into a huge city where everybody was different. And he went and he lived in that city, doing what we are supposed to do and telling people what God has to say to them. And Jonah, in his anger, he moves out of the city. And it says, in the rest of this verse, it says, And he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, isn't that interesting? Jonah was upset, but he still was hoping. He didn't want to leave yet because he thought, maybe these guys will screw it up and then God will just unleash and destroy the city. So he waited. Well, God wasn't done with him. It says in the next verse, it says that, and the Lord God arranged. And this word all throughout Jonah. And what I love about this word is that even before Jonah was told by God that he needed to go to Nineveh, long before then, God had arranged for a fish. That that fish had to be at that exact spot. That that fish had to grow to the size it needed to be exactly at the right spot. To get Jonah. And now he arranged for this plant to be exactly where Jonah was going to sit. He sat down and there God had arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And it says, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. Have you ever been in a place where it's really, really hot and then you got an umbrella or you sat in the shade, you know that huge difference in temperature between being out in the sun and under the shade? Jonah is now a happy camper. Because he's sitting there, he's in the shade. In fact, it tells us this eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, in the previous verse, when it talks about the, 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 the plant that sprouted up, in other translations, it says that the plant sprouts up overnight. And in this area of the world, there are plants that sprout up and grow overnight. One of them is a plant called the castor bean plant. The castor bean. Now, the castor bean is very rare. And it's hard to get because... The castor bean is what they use to make the chemical that today we call ricin, which is a poison. In fact, it's a controlled poison. It's you put ricin in something and all of a sudden you have what they call today a weapon of mass destruction. Look at this. Jonah is very grateful because he is taking shade under a poisonous plant. A plant that causes death. And here's Jonah, and he's sitting underneath it. But God's not done with him. It says, but God also arranged for a worm. To be in the same place at the same plant at the same time. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. So now it's the sun is back up, except now there's no plant. And as the sun grew hot, it says in the next verse, God again arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. Man, 
That's got to suck. So here he is. Next verse says the sun beat down or the rest of the verse says the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. And so he's sitting there. The hot sun coming down at him. Poisonous plant lying next to him. Hot, scorching wind coming across his face. And this is what Jonah says. He says, death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Now, this isn't the first time that Jonah wishes for death. Because when Jonah was on the boat before he got thrown into the water to meet the whale, he was also wishing for death. I don't know, it's his escape. He goes on, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? You see what God is doing here? He asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because of this, this thing, that, 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 this city that Jonah had nothing to do with? And Jonah was angry because God wasn't going to destroy it. And God says, is it right for you to be angry that I didn't destroy that poisonous city? And Jonah was still angry. And so now God's giving him the same question again. Is it right for you to be angry because the poisonous plant died? And here's Jonah. And I can just see him. He's got his arms crossed, sweat pouring down his face. And he says, yeah. Yeah. Even angry enough to die. God wasn't going to leave him there. It says, then the Lord said, you feel sorry. And that phrase, feel sorry, is actually better translated as having compassion or even loving. You feel sorry. You have compassion for it. You love that plant. Though you didn't put, do anything to put it there, it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness not to mention all of the animals. So here's this city. And this is what God's trying to tell him. Here's a city. And, and it says 120,000. But they, in this time period, they only counted men. Don't get mad at me. This is not my fault. This is what they did. So historians kind of figured that out. And they're looking at about 700 to 800,000 people, which is about the size of the city of San Francisco. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. And they're living in spiritual darkness. In other words, they have nowhere to turn spiritually. They have no understanding. They have no concept. It's not blurry. It's not mistaken. It's darkness. They don't see anything. 800,000 people. And Jonah, just like that, says, I wish you would just get rid of them all. And then this next part is hilarious because he says, not to mention all the animals. In other translations, it's specific. It says cattle. Now, today, our money is like in paper in our wallets, right? Or our money are, are electronic, uh, um, like little pieces of electronic electricity. I'm not an electric guy, so I have no idea what it is. In a computer somewhere, there's a computer that has electronics in it that says how much money I've got. Right? That's our money today. But in this time, their money was bigger. And it was hairy. And it had to be fed twice a day. See, what God is talking about is he's talking about the economy of the city. It's a significant thing. 
in the year 410, the Goths came down from the north and they sacked the city of Rome. It had been the first time in a thousand years that anyone had been able to take the city of Rome. But the Goths did something interesting because as they went in and they invaded the city, they did not take the city over. They didn't do what many other nations do when they take over a city, which is they move in, they push everybody out, they, they occupy it. The Goths didn't occupy the city. The barbarians came in, they took everything that they wanted, and they left. And this shocked the Romans. In fact, it shocked the world more than it would have if they had stayed. Because essentially what the barbarians were saying was that we can come in and take this city anytime. And he was telling them, and they were telling, they were basically saying to the Romans, you will never have peace because anytime I want to, I can come in there and take what I want. So here God is using this same kind of a reference to say, listen, it's not just that they're spiritually dark, but everything about their life is at risk that you're putting on there. 800,000 people. Their entire culture, their entire economy, it's all there. And you are just willing to let it go just like that. And then God ends, or Jonah ends the entire story with this last quote from God, where God says, Should I, shouldn't I feel sorry? Shouldn't I have compassion? Shouldn't I love this great city? Because that's what God loves. Because that's where the people are. And God has called us to this place because God loves South San Francisco. God loves the San Francisco Bay Area. And he has called us here to do the same thing. To reach, to serve, and to love our city. And Jonah, Jonah finally got it. This is the end of the the book. And the only reason that we know that Jonah finally got it is because Jonah wrote the book. He he had a dramatic flair because he ended it like this. But this book was not written from the perspective of someone who hadn't gotten it. If you read the whole book, it was written from the perspective of someone who finally understood that God has passion and love for people. And he is looking for any excuse, any excuse. To let them in. To grab hold of them. To love them. Tim Keller. I I tried to find a a better way to say this. So that I didn't have to quote him. But I can't beat this guy. Listen to what he says. He says, if you want to go where the people are going. You've got to go to the city. And our churches are not going to the city nearly as fast as the people are. The most unreached peoples in the world go to the cities. When they immigrate to the cities, they break their kinship ties. They are in a more pluralistic environment and are far more open to the gospel than they ever would have been in their previous habitat. We are in a unique situation by living in the city. If you've ever lived out in the country, in in the suburbs, I mean, not suburbs like, you know, San Mateo. Again, you guys probably don't even know what that means. Those of you who are watching us online. But if you live out in the suburbs, 
one of the things that you will see is that the way that people interact with their work life and their church life is completely different. You go down in the south and you'll see streets where five, six, seven, eight, nine churches all on the same street. Because when you're out in the countryside, your work world and your church world are completely separate. So people can see each other on, at work and they go to, com, to go to different churches. But in the city, the only way for us to show people the love of Jesus for many of us is how they see us live our lives. And for many of us who live in the city, we live our lives at work. And so for us, people are not as interested in what they hear us saying as what they see us living out in our lives. And it is our responsibility, those of us who call ourselves Christians, those of us who carry the name of Christ in who we are, it's our, our, our responsibility to live that out so that they can see it more in us than they hear about it. So my challenge to you is that. Are you living your life in a way that people want to find out what's different about you? Are you working in a way where people are, are always looking at you and thinking there is something about that person? They don't respond to bad situations the same. They're kind, they're courteous, they're responsible, they're on time, they go above and beyond the second mile. Do people look at us and say, man, that guy, there is something different about him. That, that, that lady is not like anyone I've ever worked for. I can only implore you to do that. But now I'm going to ask your help. Because what I want to know and I want, I want us to think about is this question. What is keeping me from introducing people to Jesus? Now, if it's something that you're doing, then listen, I'm praying with you. Let me know how I can help. But if it's not, then if it's something that about here, about us, that is keeping you from it, then I want you to tell me. This is my email address, uh, phone number. Um, I was going to say call me, but I'm an introvert, so I never answer the phone. Some of you know that. So text me. No, you keep calling. Nothing's going to happen. So text me. Tell me. Is there something here about what we do in any of our environments, whether it's here, the reception, any of our things? Is there something that makes you cringe? Is there something that, that, that you, you feel like you have to apologize to people for in order to bring them in? Is there something that we are doing that is keeping you from inviting someone to come and spend an hour with us on the weekend? I want to hear, honestly, I, I, I want to know what we can do on our end to make it easier for you to introduce people to Jesus and using our church as one of those ways tell me because I can't do it alone. We together can't do it alone. And one of the great things is that, is that even though we try really hard to do everything that we can, 
we are blessed as a church to partner with other churches in our city to make a difference in the city. Because we know that no one church can reach them all. And so this series that we call the Voices of South San Francisco, this series, this is... I'm going to start it off with me, but what I'm going to do is over the next couple of weeks, I have invited the pastors of the largest and oldest churches in our city to come here. And without any agenda, I just told them, hey, listen, preach whatever you think God's telling you to preach. Because I want you to hear God's voice. And I want you to see the similarities of how God is speaking to other churches and other people in our city. And listen. To how there is a theme that is going to run through all of them. And that is, is that we have a responsibility to work together as a church and to work together as all of the churches of South San Francisco. To make a difference in this city and to make our goal to be that this city is the hardest place in the world to get to H.E. double hockey sticks from. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.